Well, good morning, everyone, both to those of you online and to many of you here in the building this morning. Um, if you're new to us, please do reach out. Uh, you can find our details uh, online, or if you're in person for, for the first time, uh, then please do uh, talk to us afterwards outside. It would be great to hear from you. Um, as we turn to worship the Lord this morning together, um, I just want to read from Ephesians 4, just the first six verses of Ephesians 4, uh, speaking about... Um, under the theme really of gathering together as we submit to God's word together as we're going to hear that in Nehemiah 8. And so let me just read from Ephesians 4 uh, verse 1 to 6. It says this, Apostle Paul speaking saying, as a prisoner for the Lord then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for the unity that we have in our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that there is one body, one spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And we thank you, Lord, for that oneness that we have in Christ, for that unity that you give us. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us to come together, to lift our hearts to you, to worship you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. And now I'm just going to invite James Hughes, one of the elders up, who's going to pray for us. Father God, we rejoice as we meet together here this morning, your people in your church. And Father, as we think of Psalm 91, it says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that you are the Most High, You are almighty God. You are the creator of the heavens and the earth, and holy is your name. We praise and worship you for who you are and for all that you do. Thank you that you are our refuge and our fortress in times of trouble. Thank you that we can trust in you. May all glory be to you. Thank you, Father Almighty, for revealing yourself to us by your Holy Spirit and for restoring our relationship with you through the life and death of Jesus. Thank you for his sacrifice on our behalf, that he paid the penalty for our sin, that we might be saved. Thank you, Jesus. Father God, forgive us for all that we've done wrong in thought and word and deed and for all that we've left undone. Forgive us when we go our own way. Forgive us for our selfishness, our pride, our foolishness, for all those times that we grieve your spirit. We are sorry. Thank you that we can come to you and be forgiven. Forgive us, we pray, and help us to live lives that are worthy of you. Father God, we pray for our government as it makes decisions about the lifting of restrictions imposed as a result of the coronavirus. May they have wisdom in making those decisions and in providing guidance. We pray that you give us wisdom 
as we take account of that guidance in making decisions on how we meet as your church and worship you. Help us to do that sensitively, acting in love and grace, and may we be united together in that, that we might bring glory to you. We look forward to the opportunity to be able to restart more of our ministries and pray that you would touch our hearts and guide us to those areas where you would have us serve. Father God, we pray for this troubled world. We pray for those countries where the vaccine rollout has been slow and where there is suffering and death on a huge scale. We pray that they would both get the vaccine needed and that their governments and health services might be able to administer it at scale. We pray, Lord, for the situation in Haiti and the end to the violence there. And we thank you that the violence in Eswatini has abated. May that remain the case. Help them as they rebuild, and we pray that you would help the church there to use the opportunity to be your witness May you bring a mighty revival through this challenge. We pray, Heavenly Father, for all of our missionaries and for the work that they do sharing the gospel. Father God, we pray for all of those in and connected to our church family who are suffering at this time. We give thanks, Heavenly Father, for the wedding of Joe and Beth yesterday. May you bless their marriage and guide them in all wisdom as they set out on their life together. We pray for John Billet preaching at East Dean Free Church today, and for Cal White, who's coaching hockey at the Christians in Sports, Sport Plus Week in Scotland. And we pray for Neil as he teaches us through the book of Nehemiah this morning. May you touch the lives of many as they hear your word and see it lived out. Father, we thank you for the message from Jordan this morning. Thank you for his life. Thank you that you've called him to serve you. Thank you, Father, that he's been able to share his highlights, how he's learning more about you. And thank you, Lord, that you're the God that gives us everything. We pray for Jordan as he prepares for his marriage to Zoe. We pray, Lord, that you bless the preparation We pray, Lord, you bless both of them. And we pray, Lord, that you bless their marriage as they join together as one. Father God, thank you for all that you do for us. Help us to continue to grow in our knowledge and love of you and in our love for each other. And we ask all these prayers in the name of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, Liz is going to come up uh, shortly to give our Bible reading from uh, Nehemiah chapter 8 in a moment, uh, and Neil will come and preach from that passage. Uh, but before they, we do, <clears throat> before they do that, we're going to ask the Lord to speak to us through his word, um, and so we're going to stand for the song, Speak, O Lord. The reading is taken from Nehemiah, and it's chapter 8. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, 
to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. Beside him, on his right, stood Mattitiah, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Masaiah, and on his left were Pediah, Mishael, Malkijah, Hashem, Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Meshulam. Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them, and as he opened it, the people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The Levites, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Yamin, Akub, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Maseah, Kelita, Asariah, Josabad, Hanan and Peliah instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks. And send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for this is a holy day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food and to celebrate with great joy, because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. On the second day of the month, the heads of all the families, along with the priests and the Levites, gathered round Ezra, the teacher of the law, to give attention to the words of the law. They found, written in the law, which the Lord had commanded through Moses, that the Israelites were to live in temporary shelters during the festival of the seventh month, and that they should proclaim this word and spread it throughout their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out into the hill country and bring back branches from olive and wild olive trees and from myrtles, palms and other leafy trees to make temporary shelters as it is written. So the people went out and brought back branches and built themselves temporary shelters on their own roofs, in their courtyards, in the courts of the house of God and in the square by the water gate and the one by the gate of Ephraim. The whole company that had returned from exile built temporary shelters and lived in them. From the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day, the Israelites had not celebrated it like this, and their joy was very great. Day after day, from the first day to the last, Ezra read from the book of the law of God, 
They celebrated this festival for seven days, and on the eighth day, in accordance with the regulation, there was an assembly. Thanks, Liz. Managed to read all those names very well. It's, uh, good to see you all. Let's pray as we come to, to God's word. Father God, we do pray as we sang in that last song that uh, you would take your truth, you would plant it deep in us, and you would shape and fashion us in your likeness. Amen. Well, it's been a great week for English football fans. Apologies for the Scots and the Welsh who are not so excited about um, our success. We look forward to celebrating a victory tonight. We've heard a lot about um, how England's success in the World Cup is succeeding in uniting us as a country. People are able to put aside their their differences, maybe on on the pandemic, uh, maybe on Brexit, uh, and forget about their pain for a moment to celebrate success on the world stage of football. Football is coming home, as we can see in these slides on the screen. Of course, the trouble is, even if we do win tonight, we know that that unity will be a short-lived thing. It won't be a sound foundation on which to rebuild our society and to reunite our communities there's a deeper brokenness that success in the Euros is not going to be able to restore. Our current sermon series in the book of Nehemiah traces the the events of the people of Jerusalem at a time when the city was broken. And out of a deep concern for the people, Nehemiah returned from exile in Persia to take charge of physically rebuilding the walls. And the last couple of weeks, we've seen how, with God's help, he managed to, to build teams and withstand opposition to get that done. But as that work is completed, he and the priest Ezra turn to focus on the work of spiritually rebuilding God's people. We've gone through 15 months of lockdown, which has had a serious toll on people's physical and their mental health. In some cases, also their spiritual health. Our church is meant to be a local gathering of God's people in this place. But over the past year, it's become scattered and needs to be regathered and rebuilt. And so many of the lessons from Nehemiah's day apply to us today, which is why we're looking at this book at this time. And this morning we're looking in particular at the power of God's word to unite us as his people. Because by God's word we don't mean a dusty Bible sitting on a shelf, but the living breath of God, the means by which we can know and enjoy a personal relationship with the God of the universe. As it says in the book of Hebrews, the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. That was why in the the year 1800, 15-year-old Mary Jones walked her 25 miles barefoot across some rugged country in Wales, simply to buy a Bible. So why Brother Andrew risked imprisonment to smuggle Bibles into countries in the former Soviet Union, so that Christians there would be able to read the word of God. That's why Christians 
in North Korea who hide Bibles in their homes are prepared to risk their lives. I wonder what lengths you would go to in order to be able to read God's word or enable others to to read it. I wonder how excited you get about uh, opening up God's word, whether it's in the morning when you get up on a Sunday as you come to church or as you go to your midweek small group. What expectations do you do you have? Do you go to church expecting God to speak to you through his word? Or is it just a bunch of meaningless words? In one sense, the words we've just heard read by Liz from the book of Nehemiah are just that. They're, they're words. But at another, le- another level, they are inspired by the Holy Spirit. They have the power to change lives. There's nothing else that can transform lives like the word of God. There's nothing else that can unite us as his people like the word of God. So how does God's word have the power to unite us? Well, first of all, God's power, God's word unites us in learning together. If you look down at the chapter 8, the phrase that's repeated so many times throughout this passage is all the people. Verse 1, it says, all the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. In verse 3, all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Verse 5, Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. Verse 6, Ezra praised the Lord, the great God. And all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen. Amen. And verse 9, then Nehemiah, the governor, Ezra, the priest and teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people have said to them all, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. There is a wonderful sense of all God's people coming together, not just a lot of them or, or most of them, but, but all of them. And what are the people coming to do? Well, they want to learn. Uh, notice that it's uh, the people who told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, by which has meant the first five books of the, the Old Testament, the so-called Pentateuch. There's no sense of a, well, I suppose we ought to keep Ezra happy and, and listen to him as he keeps going on and on. If Ezra has told us to be there, I suppose we, we ought to make a bit of an effort. No, the people are clamoring for God's word. And when Israel reads it for, for several hours from daybreak to noon, there's no sense of people falling asleep. There's no sort of slipping away to get, get the lunch ready. It says all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. They know they're not just listening to this man at the front. They're listening to God himself. And so we're told that as Ezra opened the word, the people all stood up. There's a respect here for for God's word. They want to know God. They want to know how they can follow him faithfully and obediently. And so we're told that the Levites in verse 8 read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. Which is what we do when we preach um, in church. We try and explain the meaning of a passage and apply it to our lives so we can grow in our faith 
and in our Christ-likeness. When you come to hear God's word preached, how do you approach it? Do you find yourself maybe picking apart the sermon, focusing on something you disagree with, or maybe not concentrating at all, but just daydreaming about something else that's going on in your life? Or do you come wanting, do you come praying, that you would hear God speak to you? Able to put aside any minor things you, you disagree with, any illustrations you find unhelpful, any irritating habits of the preacher, and focus instead on the lesson that God wants to teach to you. What about if you don't like what you hear? Do you try and find another interpretation that feels better to you, or do you submit yourself to the authority of God's word? Do you seek his help to change aspects of your life that need changing? That is what God wants us to do. But it means we need to come to God's word wanting to be changed. None of us should be satisfied with uh, where we are in our faith. We want, in the words, uh, as we prayed at the beginning, for God to take your truth, plant it deep in us, shape and fashion us in your likeness. So however long we have been a Christian, we are all still learning. That's what a disciple is. A disciple is a learner. We never stop learning. There's always progress to be made. And that's why it's great to gather together as one, to learn. God's word unites us in learning together. It also unites us in worshipping and weeping together. Have a look at verse 6. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, And all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen. Amen. Then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Sometimes we think of worship as just a part of the service when we, when we sing. And therefore if we can't sing, then it's not really maybe worth coming to church because, you know, we can't really worship. Worship is an attitude of the heart in which we submit in humility to God. And hence it says the people bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The act of bowing down with your face to the ground in itself is not worship. The act of singing in itself is not worship. Worship is the attitude of our heart toward God. So if the reading of God's word causes in our hearts to see God in his glory and respond in humility, then that is worship. When we praise God for his glory and uh, respond in humility as we sing and, and pray and open his word, then that is worship. Some people may be more outwardly impacted as God speaks to them through his word. But the key thing is not the outward expression, but the impact on the heart that only God can see. He can see the extent to which our worship of him is sincere and heartfelt. God enjoys it when the hearts of his people turn to him in worship. That's why many of the Psalms include calls to to worship. Psalm 95 starts, Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. 
These are called the people of God to gather together to worship God as one. So what is the weeping that is referred to in verse 9? It says, for all the people have been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Well, through the reading of God's word, the Holy Spirit has made them aware of their sinfulness. And so they're mourning the state of their hearts. I wonder when the last time was that you mourned your sin, either inwardly or, or outwardly. That it's so disturbed you to think how far short you've fallen from God's perfect holiness. But of course, if that is the Holy Spirit who's causing them to weep, and that is a good thing, then the question comes, well, why then does Ezra say to them, this day is holy to the Lord your God, do not warn or weep. Well, he's not saying that it's wrong to weep. He's saying, don't leave it there. The humble acknowledgement of your sin is the first step to being made right with God. It's an important step, but it's the first step. You need to take that next step and celebrate God's grace. Because God was, God's word unites us in worshipping and weeping together, but it also unites us in celebrating God's grace together. Verse 10, Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks. Send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for this is a holy day. Do not grieve. Having heard God's word explained to them, their response, as Nehemiah said, should be to be still in their hearts and to go and celebrate. Go and celebrate God's compassion on those who have nothing prepared by sharing what you have. Go and celebrate the fact that the joy of the Lord is your strength. Well, how can they do that when they've just been convicted of their sin? Because God's word, God's word not only convicts us of our sin, it also gives us the solution to our sin. In God's word, we find that forgiveness is possible through God's grace. Ten days after the holiday the people were celebrating would come the annual day of atonement. A day when a scapegoat would symbolically carry on itself all the sins of the people to a solitary place. And it's that assurance of their forgiveness that gives the people peace in their hearts, that enables them to be still. Those sacrifices for sin had to be repeated year after year. But that scapegoat prefigured the human scapegoat, Jesus Christ, who willingly took on himself the sins of the world in his sinless body, so that those who repent and believe in him are eternally forgiven. Sin will be dealt with once and for all by his one perfect sacrifice. And that's a cause of celebration, isn't it? Now, we're not renowned for being a joyful people in this country. Um, success in the Euros may have given us a short relapse. As Gareth Southgate said, it's brilliant to bring some joy to the nation. But we'll soon be back to our ways of moaning and groaning. And the pandemic would have made that worse. I went to the little uh, parking office at the JR the other week to pay for the car park because I didn't have any, any coins. Um, 
just ever heard on the, the intercom a passenger just getting really angry with the guy in the office? And to his credit, the, the guy just remained calm and said, look, you don't need to be abusive. We're just here to help you. But people have been locked down for so long. They're tired, they're anxious, they're easily irritated. And particularly when they or someone dear to them is not well. But if we look to our health or our circumstances for our joy, we will be disappointed. We've seen how fragile and uncertain they are. True lasting joy comes from knowing the Lord through his word, experiencing his grace in our lives. And if we have that joy, we would also receive strength. Strength to face whatever challenges will come next in our lives. There is little that we can be certain of in this life. But one thing we can be certain of is that nothing can separate us from the love of God. A verse that was important to, to Olive that we read at her funeral was God's promise that I will never leave you nor forsake you. It's that reassurance of God's grace that gives us joy and it gives us strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. We're going to share in the Lord's Supper shortly and uh, that combines these two aspects, the, the acknowledgement, the mourning, the weeping over our sin, which made it necessary for Jesus to die for us. But then a joyful celebration of God's grace in Jesus that made us right with God. That supper will only be a, a joyful celebration for us if we not only understand what the bread and the wine symbolize, but if we believe that Christ's death, his resurrection, has made it possible for our sins to be forgiven and for us to be reconciled to God. As we put our trust in him for that, we experience, we celebrate God's grace. Back in Nehemiah, in verse 12, it says, Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food and to celebrate with great joy, because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. The celebration of God's grace continues in the, the gathering that took place on the next day, as described in verse 13 onwards. And what the people found that we read here were actions for the Feast of Tabernacles. And during this feast, God's word will not just be proclaimed verbally, it will also be acted out visually. And the festival was a reminder of how God had protected and provided for his people hundreds of years earlier when they traveled through the wilderness and lived in tents in their journey out of slavery on the way to the promised land. Uh, they were now back at Jerusalem. The walls had been rebuilt. It gave them some physical security, but uh, the festival reminded them that their confidence should not be in the walls, but in the sovereign Lord. That was why they, they had this festival. They, they spent it in tents. And it's so easy for us, isn't it, to, to forget all the Lord has done for us. Even during this pandemic, uh, the temptation is to block out the pain, uh, somehow write off those 15 months and try and move on. But of course, in all of that pain, God has still been at work, hasn't he? Providing us with the strength to, to keep going when we felt like giving up. Helping us to focus on the small mercies that we may normally overlook when things are going well and life is busy. Teaching us about things uh, about ourselves that we wouldn't otherwise have, have maybe noticed. 
I think helping us to readjust our priorities in life. The Feast of Tabernacles was designed to help the people remember God's grace to them in the past, when he rescued them, when he provided for them. God's word unites us in celebration of his grace. But finally, God's word unites us in looking forward to heaven together. One of the lessons I mentioned at the members meeting the other night said that I feel God has been teaching us during lockdown by withdrawing many of our earthly blessings is a reminder that our true citizenship is in heaven. It's very easy, isn't it, to become too attached to the things of this world and to forget where we really belong. The Feast of the Tabernacles was not just a reminder for the, the people of Israel of all that God had done for them in the in the, in the wilderness years. It was also meant to point them to their heavenly home. The shelters were temporary, but when they came into the promised land, they would have a more permanent home. And having now returned from, from exile and rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem, they're in some ways back in their home. But again, this is not their real home. It was still a temporary home that pointed to their eternal home. As the writer to the Hebrews made clear when writing about Abraham, he wrote this. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Carries on in verse 15. If they had been thinking of the country they had left they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. When we gather as one in submission to God's word, we are united in looking forward to our heavenly home. It's one of the things we share as Christians. And God's word is full of reminders that Jesus came to save us for eternal life. We looked at the letter of of 1 Peter in our sermon series recently. We we learned how we should live as strangers and exiles in this world and how we should prepare ourselves for heaven. I was away recently, I read this, uh, or started reading this book, it's quite a long book, um, by Randy Alcorn, some of you may have read it, called Heaven. Um, Still a long way to go, and there's a children's version, of, version available if you want to read that, or even a tract you can read. But we should be excited about heaven. Uh, you know, yes, we still have lots of work to do in this earth, um, if God wants us to do that. We should appreciate the earthly blessings. But those blessings will pale into comparison with the blessings of heaven. Recently we said goodbye, didn't we, to our sister Olive, who has been called home, to her eternal home. And it is hard for the people who are left, for her family, for her friends, her her church family. We shall miss her. But we rejoice in the fact that she is in a far better place, the place where we too are heading if we put our trust in Jesus Christ. If we've rejected Jesus, then the alternative of hell is too awful to even think about. But the invitation is given to accept the offer of eternal life as we accept Jesus as our Lord and our Saviour. 
Well, as we finish, church is a gathering of God's people. And as we do gather in submission to God's word, we are united. We are united in learning together, in worshipping and weeping together, in celebrating God's grace together, and in looking forward to heaven together. The Lord's Supper that we're going to take now together is likewise a gathering of of God's people to, to proclaim the Lord's death until he comes, until he comes and gathers his people to be with him for eternity. So in the words of the song we're going to sing to prepare ourselves for the Lord's Supper, we sing this. So we share in this bread of life and we drink of his sacrifice as a sign of our bonds of love around the table of the king. Let's pray. Father God, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that it is living and active. We thank you as we come to it uh, in submission to it, as we gather together as one in submission to it, you are teaching us through your word. You're continuing to change us. You're continuing to increase our faith, our love for you. And so we do pray that we would come with the right attitude to your word. We pray that we would come with excitement, whether that is as we open it up on our own, but particularly as we come together as your people. And we do pray, Lord, that you would speak to us through your word. You would convict us of our sin. You would enable us to celebrate your grace that you tell us about in your word. And you'll prepare us for our heavenly home. So, Lord, bless us now as we come around your table to celebrate that grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and reflect on these words as we come to communion. Behold the Lamb who takes our sin away. Uh, and now as we come to celebrate the Lord's Supper together, it's a, a time, as we, as we heard there, to soberly remember, remember what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us and joyfully give thanks. Give thanks as we wait for him to be with him for the ultimate banquet in heaven. And we remember what he has done for us in paying for our sins in full on the cross And by rising from the dead and giving us his spirit at Pentecost, he makes us a new humanity, a new people, his church. And as it says in the book of Acts, the earliest account of the church, meeting together, they did so breaking bread together, having a meal together in Acts 2, verse 46 and 47. It says, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. As Jesus has died for our sins, rose from the dead and gave us his spirit, now we are his people. We are God's special possession. And we celebrate that as we come to have this this meal together as followers of Jesus Christ. And for those maybe who haven't decided to follow Jesus, who haven't received him uh, as their Lord and Savior, turn from their sin and confess him as Lord. Well, this is not the meal for you. So if you have um, 
If you haven't decided to, to do that yet, then please do just let the, the bread and the wine it pass you by. But let me maybe invite you to take the time to reflect upon what that might mean for you this morning, to receive him as your Lord and Savior. As the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 11, he says, The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat together. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's drink together. A moment of quiet. Father God, we thank you for your amazing grace and goodness to us. And we thank you for the fact that our sins have been washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, that your body was broken for us, that you gave yourself for us, that we would be your people. And so, Father, we praise you and thank you because of what Christ has done for us. Help us, Lord, to live a life worthy of that sacrifice, to live a life which pleases you and brings you glory. We thank you that you've given us your spirit to give us the power to do that. And we pray that you would help us, Lord, to live that out. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, well, that's us for this morning. Uh, great to worship with you this morning. Uh, look forward to seeing many of you this evening at six o'clock as we have a prayer meeting on Zoom, uh, thinking about uh, delighting in God's word. Uh, let me encourage you as we as we leave the building just to have some fellowship outside. Uh, it would be much easier to, to talk there and get to know one another better. So let me pray as we close. Lord, we thank you for the power of your word and how it just speaks to our hearts. We thank you, Lord, that by your spirit, through your word, you speak to us. We pray that you would help us, Lord, to be shaped by it, that we would worship you, that we would live a life which brings you glory. And we thank you, Lord, for what you have done for us in paying for our sins, that we can come close to you and know you, praise you, and live for you. In Jesus' name, amen.